Welcome to the Books and Travel podcast. I'm Jo Francis-Penn, thriller and dark fantasy author, bringing you escape and inspiration about unusual and fascinating places, as well as the deeper side of books and travel. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page. And if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my ebooks for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Hello, travellers. I'm Jo Francis Penn, and in today's interview, I'm talking to Dr. Karen Wyatt about how travel can help us reflect on death and also deal with grief. So this interview is part of what is known as dark travel, which is less about gin and tonic on the beach (laughs) and lying in the sun and more about investigating the deeper side of human experience. And I'm a jolly person. I hope you realise that. And so is Karen. And we enjoy a glass of wine and we enjoy the sun as well, as much as anyone else. Um, And you'll hear our enthusiasm for life, as well as our interest in graveyards, ossuaries, um, gruesome displays of body parts in churches and much more. Um, Karen and I have interviewed each other for our respective podcasts, and we share a love of thinking about death as a way to live life to the full. So the momentum Mori idea, uh, you know, remember you will die. Because life is short and death is certain. And as Mary Oliver says in her wonderful poem, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? And if you forget that there will be an end to it, it can be easy to just do things you don't want to do all the time. And you can't do that. I mean, I've met too many people who have a bucket list. They have never even started. Um, Like, for example, when I went to New Orleans in in America, uh, or New Orleans, as uh, (laughs) I always get reminded I should pronounce it. Uh, And in fact, pronunciation is one of the issues on the show as as I go around the world trying to pronounce things. It will always be quite funny. Uh, But um, yeah, when I went to uh, New Orleans, uh, people would say to me, oh, I'm so jealous that you're going there. I always wanted to go there. And to be fair, it's not a hard place to visit. You just um, you just go, especially if you're in America. It's very cheap flights down there. Uh, But travel is one of those things you can achieve. You pick your place, you save some money, you book a ticket and you overcome that fear of the unknown and you go. They're really, that really is it. And that's what I want to encourage uh, on this show. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Karen. Dr. Karen Wyatt is a hospice physician and best-selling author of books about death, loss and grief. She's the host of the End of Life University podcast and an inspirational speaker who teaches how to live a life that really matters by embracing our mortality. And today we're talking about how travel in particular can help with grief and reflection on our mortality. So welcome to the show, Karen. Thank you so much, Joanna. I'm delighted to have a chance to talk with you today. Oh, I'm so excited. And uh, we're, we're, I think we're friends now. We talk about death together. So that's cool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so today I wanted to talk about um, your grief trips, which you call them. So you've been to Italy, France and Spain on these trips. So tell us what prompted these journeys and why you decided that travel might help. Well, my first grief trip was actually 
inadvertent in a way. Um, <clears throat> it was a trip to Italy my husband and I had planned, but the morning we were leaving for our trip, a patient of mine died of, a young patient died of the H1N1 flu. It was back during that flu epidemic. Mm. So I left on that trip feeling a great deal of grief, having lost a patient. And I really didn't even want to go. I thought the trip would be a disaster because I was so sad and carrying so much grief. And yet I got to Italy and everywhere we went, I found comfort because I was just learning so much about grief and death and how it has shaped history, really, and culture and art. And so everywhere I went, I actually felt comforted on that trip. And that's when my eyes were open that travel can be a really powerful way of facing our grief and actually dealing with it. Mm. Well, it's interesting because, of course, in Europe, so much of Europe is about the history and people come here um, and travel and look at, you know, places built by dead people, basically. <laughs> so I wanted to ask particularly, you went to Normandy tracing your dad's footsteps. So tell us about that, because that's quite different to to the patient who died. Yes. Well, my dad died now. It's been 30 years ago of suicide. And I've spent many years trying to understand his suicide and trying to figure out the roots of it. And I realized he had been, he served in World War II and was part of the Battle of Normandy, landed on the beach of Normandy. And I realized that had a lot to do with some of the depression that he had experienced his whole life because of the trauma of war. So I really wanted to visit Normandy myself and just see, take part in that. I mean, just see what it was like. And an amazing thing happened that we signed on to a tour and had a young French woman, <clears throat> excuse me, as our guide who took us out to the beach and to the American cemetery. And I shared with her what division my father served in, uh, in the U.S. Army. And she, she showed me a map where she, we could discover where his division landed, what day they landed, and then where what battles they participated in after they landed at Normandy. And it turned out my father's division fought in the Battle of St. Lowe, the village of St. Lowe. And the guide got was speechless for a moment and got tears in her eyes. And she said, I'm from St. Lowe. And she said, my family has lived there for generations. Mm -hmm. And she turned to me and she said, I am so grateful to your father for serving in this war because I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for those soldiers who fought in that battle. Suddenly, like it was this moment of such healing because I realized all the grief and guilt my dad felt about participating in war and taking lives of other people. It, it just came full circle because here was a, a young woman who might not be here today if it hadn't been for that battle. And so she and I just bonded in that moment with that connection between us. And so for me, nothing could have been more powerful in terms of healing my own grief, helping me understand my dad, and then even feeling like this was healing for my dad for, you know, for what he left behind of pain and sorrow and, mm. and guilt from the war. Wow, that's, that's incredible. And I mean, did your dad ever go back there? He did go back. He and my mom went back. And I think I was in college at the time. And I didn't quite under at that time, I didn't understand the impact the war had on him. So he had he visited he was stationed in England, and he visited England and France. 
um, to retrace some of his own steps. So, but I, I don't know for him, I don't know if that was a healing experience or not, because I wasn't really connected or even thinking about any mm. of these things at that age. Mm, wow. And, you know, it's so interesting you mentioned these kind of European war fields, because as school children here in Britain, they take us when we're kind of aged 14, 15, they take us to the battlefields of World War One, And I have, uh, you know, probably the first time I ever felt massively impacted by death was going to the Somme and uh, sort of going to that those battlefields and realising the scale of, of, of death. So it's so interesting that you would um, go back there. So do you feel like it helped your grief um, for your father, like so. So, why is travel helpful for for grief? For me, I think what was helpful is that uh, I started to recognize that uh, my grief is not a solitary experience, that this is part of the human condition, that everyone grieves. And it was kind of eye-opening for me. I mean, that seems obvious in some ways. And yet in the midst of pain, I had been feeling so alone and isolated so by by just traveling and seeing places where tragedies have happened and seeing memorials and how people remember their dead it made me feel connected in such a a, a larger way and it it eased my grief to know that I'm not alone at all. Everyone experiences this. And it's, and for the first time, I actually felt like, oh, now I really know what it means to be human. I'm part of humanity now because I'm experiencing the, the depths of loss, but I'm also experiencing the creativity that can come from loss and grief and pain. Mm. Well, and then I wondered, because, um, you know, you and I have talked about about death before. I've been on your end of life podcast and you, you, you've you been on my podcast as well before. And um, I, I wonder whether you also, like me, kind of feel a sense of place when you're in a place where there has been such death. I mean, obviously, people die everywhere all the time, <laughs> but there are these places I feel in the world where there's almost almost the land itself has changed because of of this occasion um and it just it just feels different do you do you have that sense of place in uh, when you travel oh yes absolutely and i and now <clears throat> Sorry. Now I find that I actually seek out cemeteries um, when I go new places, even if I'm driving through some small town and I see the cemetery off to the side of the road. I seek it out because I feel like suddenly I know a little bit of the history of that place and I, I feel connected wherever I go. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I also follow your Instagram channel. <laughs> and, uh, and I think you follow mine as well. We share our pictures. Um, and you visited Herculaneum in Italy, which I, I think is incredible. It's this whole city, if people don't know, a whole city buried by lava and ash. And it was uh, by the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, we should say nearly 2000 years ago. So this is not like World War One or World War Two. This is a long time ago. But there are, it was buried so quickly. And there there are still skeletons crowded under the arches of the city, people who tried to shelter. We have exactly the same picture on Instagram, which is really, yeah. really funny. So I wondered, like, what, what were your thoughts there in Herculaneum where that death was so long ago and yet it, it kind of feels so sudden? It was so powerful. And seeing the skeletons in place where those people died, where they were 
huddled together, hoping for safety. Um, I, I spent a long time there just contemplating it because it was so profound. And you could feel in some ways their their fear, the terror of the situation they were in. But I also had a sense of love because you could see one skeleton looked like like a an adult holding a child. And that was, oh, that was just powerful for me to think that in these last moments of life, they were, they were huddled together, um, connected together, experiencing love together as in their last moments of life. It, it's just, it's so profound. It's really hard to describe in a way the, the feeling that you have taking this in and recognizing these these are the remains of the people who actually died here that many years ago. Mm. And it's, as you say about the human condition, it reminds you, I think, that 2000 years ago, people were still the same. I mean, what's so interesting about Herculaneum is they have, you know, there's a taverna where you could have had a drink. There was a little restaurant where you could have gone to get your dinner. You know, there was the swimming pool. There was the hotel. It was no different except for our technology, I guess. Yes. And after we visited there, we went to Sorrento, the modern day town of Sorrento, but we were in the older part of town. And here it looks exactly the same. There are little, little shops. There's a little tavern. There's a little, uh, a little restaurant on the corner um, where you can get soup. And it was like, and the narrow streets, it felt exactly the same. Like people are, are still living in these same places. Mm. One of the other things you and I both enjoy is going to cemeteries. And you mentioned there that you, you'll stop by the side of the road and, and check one out. And I'm the same. And I, I do um, visit sort of the, the big cemeteries too. And we've, we've both been to Père Lachaise in Paris. So I wondered if you would tell me what particularly struck you uh, about Père Lachaise? Well, first of all, how massive it is. It's so huge. And then it's, it's so it's easy to get lost in the midst of that cemetery. It's such a maze in, in some places. But, um, but that was wonderful, actually, to spend a few hours just lost and wandering through it. And then also, I noticed the juxtaposition in one part, there would be a relatively recent grave that still was, you know, being decorated regularly with fresh flowers. And then nearby, a gravesite with perhaps a mausoleum or headstones that were, you know, 150 years old that were crumbling now and falling apart. And it was evidence like, like some of the graves are well tended because there are still people alive who remember this person. But some of the graves are so old, there's there's no one any longer who who cares for them. And it just reminded me of impermanence, you know, even when we try to build these mausoleums or, or headstones to remember our loved ones, everything crumbles eventually in the end. Mm. And what, what do you think about the difference between the sort of European cemeteries and what you're used to more in, in America? I guess I feel like here in the U.S., <clears throat> death is really sanitized so much more. And so it, it seems as if it's all been orchestrated to keep it as far away from us as possible. And so to make the cemetery look perfect and orderly when death is not orderly at all. Um, and so so it, it reminded me, I, I just saw so many images in Italy in particular of death made visible and grief and mourning made visible. Whereas here, I feel like we struggle to keep it hidden as much as possible so that we don't have to feel the sorrow or feel any discomfort with it. 
Mm. And I, I've been to a few um, graveyards and cemeteries in the US. And like you say, I do feel like they are more more sanitized, even if they're historical. I mean, if you compare some of the, I don't know, Civil War graveyards to some of the, the war graveyards in in, um, in France, uh, you know, would, do you see a, a difference even at, at that level? Well, somewhat, although oh, visiting the American cemetery in France in at Normandy was um, was really profound. And, and one thing that strikes you is these rows and rows of crosses and then also the um, stars of David uh, lined up in perfect rows. But there's something really beautiful and sacred about that orderliness. And it doesn't feel at all that it, it's trying to hide the grief. It almost feels like it's part of the of the memorial of the place is that everything is, is lined up so perfectly um, in that cemetery. But, uh, and here, I guess we do have that same effect in military cemeteries of everything being orderly, but um, there's something about the location of the cemetery in France, like being with a view over the ocean and, uh, the statues that were that were nearby, all of the reminders of war. It, it felt like uh, it, it wasn't hiding from the fact that these soldiers all died in the war. Mm. Now, so you, you mentioned faith there, the crosses and the the stars of David, and both of us have also visited lots of Catholic cathedrals, particularly around um, Spain and Italy, um, and also in in France. And often these places have particularly bloody images of uh, the crucified Christ or martyred saints. And I was looking at your pictures of Granada and um, the Capilla Real, I don't know if you remember, has these gruesome martyred um, sort of going through martyrdom, one being boiled alive and, you know, beheaded. And and I wondered, you know, what your thoughts were on the kind of depiction of death um, in a place of, of faith. That, well, that was one of the biggest shocks for me the first time I ever traveled, traveled to Europe, which was Italy the first time. And seeing, well, seeing relics, seeing um, bones and skeletons and these, as you said, group, more gruesome images of death really surprised me because I had never seen that in the churches, at least that I have been in here in the U.S. in my life. And so... Um, it also showed me that our churches, like our cemeteries, are in, in some ways taking a step back away from death and and really not really protecting us from those images in a way when it, it was very profound to see that how graphic some of the images are in the European churches. Yeah, it's, it is. It is so interesting. It's definitely although I think I said to you this a church in Pittsburgh. I think it is with some of the most relics uh, in the world. <laughs> oh, really? Now I haven't been there, so I didn't realize that. It's kind of crazy, but no, I'm I'm pretty obsessed with, and I'm not a Catholic. Um, uh, I have, uh, you know, great respect for people of faith. I, I'm I don't have any particular faith, but that I am obsessed with with holy relics and you know some of the essentially body parts that are worshipped, or at least not not worshipped, but used as a, a way to talk to God in in some way. Um, so you know, did you see any anything really weird or that kind of made you go, "Whoa, that is uh, totally unexpected or surprising"? One surprise um, was in 
Otranto, Italy, in Puglia, down on the mm. Adriatic coast. And we were on a bike trip through Puglia, so I wasn't necessarily like looking for <laughs> looking for death necessarily on, on that trip. But we stopped for lunch in Otranto, and we went to see the Cathedral of Otranto because it has this famous um, mosaic floor in the church that was created by one one monk, like oh, a thousand years ago or so. Um, he laid all these tiles of the tree of life on the floor. So we went there to see the mosaic, um, the floor mosaic, but then discovered there's a chapel attached to that cathedral that has the bones of 800 Christians who were martyred by the Ottomans. And so they have huge cases behind the altar of the chapel that contain the bones of of all these martyrs. And I had never seen anything like that before. So many bones displayed and it's in this holy, sacred cathedral. So that was a real surprise that day. We weren't looking for it and I hadn't even heard of that place before. Mm. Did you go to the Paris catacombs? No, I haven't. I didn't have time to go there. So that's a that's a place on my list that I need to go back to. Oh, you totally do. <laughs> because I mean, I, I also I find catacombs and ossuaries. And um, I think the, the physical depiction of of death, um, it helps me with that memento mori remembering we will die. But I also wanted to point out that you also have nice pictures of you and your husband drinking wine in the sun, being happy. And you and I are both positive people too. So um, maybe you could sort of talk more about why is it good to be aware of the shortness of life and, and what really matters? Well, it's interesting because actually before before my dad's death and before I started exploring death, I realized I was kind of a more serious person. And I feel like I carried the weight of the world in a really heavy way. I found it hard to be joyful. And I mean, that got worse, of course, when I was grieving over my dad's death. But it was really through working in hospice um, with dying patients and then exploring death and getting comfortable with death that I found my way back to being joyful again. And I think it it was what you were describing, recognizing like, wait a minute, I'm only here for a short time. I My life is short. And yes, there might be suffering and sorrow during this life, but there's abundant joy and pleasure in the world too and love. And so I don't want to miss a moment. I don't want to spend a moment of my time not experiencing the joys that are here. And I, I really think exploring the grief and the pain of death is what kind of opened me to finally recognize like, it's okay to just love being here, even when times are sad, even when something goes wrong, it's okay to celebrate that and and really enjoy life. And many of my hospice patients demonstrated that to me because I found people on their deathbeds in the last few weeks of life who were telling me like, this is actually the most I've ever loved being alive. And I love it right now because I know it's short. I know I don't have that much time, but I wish I'd lived this way my whole life. And it was that example that reminded me, that's how I want to be living every day right now, recognizing like, I, I won't, I don't know how long I'll be here. So I'm going to make the most of this moment today and, and get everything I can out of it. And that has really, really shaped my travel experiences too. Mm, that's fantastic. And you, you have a, a book. Um, just tell us a, a bit about that, the book that you've, you've written particularly around this area. 
Well, after after my years of working in hospice and sitting with patients at the end of life, I really felt like it transformed me spiritually in a way and, and how I lived my life on a day-to-day basis, the lessons that I learned from my patients. One of my patients said to me, um, I only just now figured out what really matters in life, and yet I won't even be here two weeks from now. And I just now learned this. And he said, I wish I could tell other people the story so they could learn it earlier. And that stuck in my head, what really matters, what really matters. And, And then I ended up writing this book, which has stories of hospice patients and their families that I worked with, especially those who had really kind of profound transformations at the end of life. And then the lessons that I learned about how to live life through their experiences. Mm. No, that that's fantastic. And um, are there any other books, since this is the Books and Travel podcast, what are some other books you might recommend people read uh, about grief or, or travel that you've particularly enjoyed? One book that I enjoyed was Wild by Cheryl Strayed, which is the story of her. She hiked over a thousand miles on the Pacific Crest Trail after her mother died. Her mother died, her marriage fell apart, and she was just feeling lost. But she used that hike and kept extensive journals uh, on her hike and used it to explore her grief. And I I really enjoyed reading that book. Um, And another book that's really interesting uh, for travel to inspire travel is the book from here to eternity traveling the world to find the good death by caitlin doty i don't know if you've heard of that oh book. yeah oh she she yeah. would be um i want to get her on this show so oh, <laughs> she would yes. definitely be up there that's oh, a great gosh. book love talking to her yeah it's a great book but and it's it's actually given me some places that i want to visit now after reading about her travels there yeah, that, those are, I loved Wild as well. <laughs> That's really fantastic. So if people can't travel, you know, maybe some people listening, um, you know, can't afford to travel or um, things are going, ro- going wrong or things are happening. Um, how can we change our attitude to have this almost noticing the world? So you talk there about a grief trip, but it's almost like you go on a trip and then you notice things that bring these lessons home for you. So other ways we could do that in our own community? Well, I mean, I think you can explore your own community because there's obviously like signs of of death and grief everywhere. Um, So, you know, visiting cemeteries in in your own community and um, just being aware of what's happening in the community. But um, one thing I've gotten, I've learned so much from is like watching the History Channel, either watching documentaries or reading some of their articles online and really learning about history. That's been powerful for me because so much of our history, it's all about (laughs) war and tragedy and death and grief. And so I think you can do a lot to just expose yourself to information. And then um, I encourage people to not shy away from death, but actually to make to intentionally start to think about it every day, like to start thinking about the fact that, oh, I'm here today, but I don't know how many days I have um, to just allow those thoughts to come to mind. And for some people, I even recommend becoming a volunteer in hospice because it gives you a chance to, like I did, to sit with the dying and, and learn about death from people who are actually going through it. 
Mm. Yeah, I I have on my desk here um, a, a I guess a sugar skull called a sugar skull in the Mexican way, which is a it's a skull, but it's also covered in butterflies and it's colourful. Um, and Mexico is probably on my list. Like Mexican Day of the Dead is top, probably top of my list for for what I would call death travel. So I wondered about you, given we're the shortness of life. Um, what's on your on your list for um, for your travels next? I I also want to visit Mexico. I've never been to the Day of the Dead, and I'm actually fairly close um, here where I live. So that would that would be a short trip for me. Um, I'd like to visit more. Uh, I guess more World War II sites uh, where my dad was in Belgium and Ardennes. I don't know if I'm pronouncing mm-hmm. that correctly in France, and then also in England because he was stationed in England for for uh, quite a while too, before Normandy. So I'd like to visit those sites. And then uh, the Czech Republic, because I'm attracted to the uh, the Bone Church there. Yeah. <laughs> I know you visited. So. Yeah, now that is, a, that is a good place. So I'll put all those links in the show notes. Um, but where can people find you and your books and your podcast online? Well, um, my personal website is karenwyattmd.com. My podcast, though, is called End of Life University Podcast. And then I have a a website for that, eoluniversity.com. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for your time, Karen. That was great. Thank you, Joanna. Thanks for joining me today on the Books and Travel Podcast. I hope you found a moment of escape. Thanks for joining me today on the Books and Travel podcast. I hope you found a moment of escape. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page. And if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my books for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Happy travels until next time.